you welcome to this episode of the b3 podcast before we get into the meat and the potatoes of the episode this episode's coming from a very blustery snowy new york it's our one of our first snowfalls probably the second or third and it's reminding me of the holiday time we're about a week away from thanksgiving which means we're just about a month away from christmas so you got to start thinking about buying presents for people and if you're like me you suck at that but if you suck at buying presents and you need to get something for Christmas for somebody, I've got the website for you. The website is the Quintessential Christmas website. That is quintessential-christmas.com. Quintessentialchristmas.com. One more time, it is quintessential-christmas.com. Now, like I said, I'm not very good at buying Christmas presents, but one of the easiest ways to go in my opinion, is to get something that is Christmassy. You can get, you know, Christmas jewelry, uh, you know, home decor, anything. I mean, you may if it's if you got like a niece or a nephew or little kids or something, you got to buy them like maybe some Christmas pajamas or something that's that'll get them into the holiday spirit. This website has all of that and more. One of my favorite, my personal favorites on the website is if you go on and you get to the kitchenware aspect of the website, kitchenware subcategory. They've got these wine bottle canvas koozies. You got ones that look like a sweater. So it looks like your wine bottle's wearing a sweater. For you girls, how cute is that? Oh my God. For those of you that want to get in more like the Christmas spirit, like I was just saying, they have Santas or snowmen on there as well. They've got one for as little as $5. Little as five bucks. You got ones for $6. I'm talking cheap. And what you got to do is, if you're like me and you're not good at buying gifts, go out and buy a reasonably priced bottle of wine. I will have my dad on this podcast at some point. He knows a lot about wine. So you can get a good bottle of wine for 15 bucks maybe. So you buy a nice bottle of wine, maybe a nice bottle of bubbly if you're really getting after it. Maybe some mimosas if it's a breakfast party. Yeah, girls, yes, mimosas. So you can grab one of these koozies for as little as $5 and throw that Christmas koozie onto the bottle of champagne, carry in a bottle of Tropicana, and mix them up. You're Christmassy as hell, and you got all of your gifts covered. And they get to use that koozie as long as they want. If you're looking for a little bit more of a, a higher scale end, they've got some nice wine class charms on there for as little as $6. Six pieces for six bucks. That's a dollar a piece, people, for you math guys out there. That's quintessentialchristmas.com, quintessential-christmas.com. And guess what? For those of you that are interested, they're hooking us up with a discount code. Yeah, that's right. So quintessential-christmas.com is offering us triple B10, 10% off of your entire order. That is triple B, 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 and the number 10. One more time, B, 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 one, zero. We'll give you 10% off your entire order on the quintessential hyphenchristmas.com website. If you order 25 bucks worth of stuff, your shipping is free. You don't got to pay a dang. If you're listening from across the pond there, if you're over in the UK, if you're sitting in Liverpool, or if you're sitting anywhere that's not the US, they'll ship it to you globally for free if you order $75 worth of stuff. So get onto this website, head over to their apparel side, head over to anything that you might might interest you that you're looking into, some Christmas gifts, and order your stuff with that triple B, BBB10. That's triple B10. 
discount code for 10% off your entire order. Alrighty, so on this episode, we are going to be talking about that Chelsea win. We didn't win. We tied. But in my eyes, it was a win. It was a great performance. We just went to Stamford Bridge. We played an away game against a team that is undefeated, people. They have not lost a game all season. We went to their stadium against a team that is on fire, and we shut them down. One of the best players in the world we just played against, Eden Hazard. He's been a con- he's been a contender this year. He's really making an argument for himself that next year he might just find himself in the Ballon d'Or race. Who knows? We just went there, and we caused a whole bunch of issues. It was a nil-nil draw, clean sheet for Jordan Pickford, who was absolutely outstanding. He was insane. All of that, amongst other stories, coming up on this episode of the B3 Podcast. So let's get into this. Really was a great performance. All in all, in my opinion, that was one of one of our best performances all season for a whole number of reasons. Not only considering that where that we went to a, a contender stadium and and competed against them. We we could have won that game. We could have lost the game, of course. They had plenty of chances, but we had chances of our own as well. We could have won that game, but we performed very very well. It was just what a performance. I mean, Mina was great. Yeri Mina was was really, really fantastic. It, and he got that yellow card. That yellow card was not a yellow card. Uh, and not, not even the um, commentators were saying that it was a yellow card. They, they, they thought it was very, very harsh. He got the ball first. Yeah, he, he slid in, hit the ball, and... and it was it was so it was in my opinion so clearly not a yellow card. It was very similar to when Jagielka got the red. Jagielka was closer, more to a definite foul. But in, in Yerry Mina's case, I think that at most it it was a foul that that would have pulled the referee to you know cause a give Chelsea a free kick. But it was it was in my opinion definitely not a yellow card. Very very harsh, uh, and I I think that was a very very poor call by the referee. But Mina got man of the match. I mean, it was a great, great, great performance by him. Another reason why it was a fantastic performance was because Silva recognized that there was an issue with the performance, that a change needed to be made, that Chelsea were beginning to gain some momentum in the game, and he changed our system, which in the past we, we have tried to do under different managers. I remember Kuman tried to put three in the back. And it didn't work out very well. And I said in the last podcast that at the end of our previous match, that when he brought Mina on, he had three in the back with wing backs. He was testing that out for 
for the Chelsea match, which changed the face of the game. We we got we didn't have much of the ball even after the change, but we had more of it than we had previous to it. And we were able to weather the storm a little bit more and carry the game out and collect a point from a very, very strong Chelsea side. There's no doubt that this Chelsea team is a very, very strong team that uh, sorry have them very well organized. They're a dangerous team. They're, there's no question in my mind that they're contenders. And we won't know until, of course, toward you know closer to the end of the seasons, but they really, really could be a, a, a difficult team to to push out of the title race. Uh, they'll give City a run for their money. Uh, those bigger games for the quote-unquote, I hate this term, but the, the quote-unquote big six, those games are going to be are going to become more and more important, of course, and we'll have to see where Chelsea end up. But for us to go to Stamford Bridge and collect a point in this part of the season when Chelsea are performing the way that they are is is huge. And I liked our, ch- I liked our chances going into the game, and, and Silva organized them well. The lads dug in, and they collected a point. Very, very great performance. The support at this game was amazing. It was the best it's been maybe even in comparison to uh, i mean our support at goodison's always fantastic but i mean this support the away support there were i think he said around 2000 of us there 2000 Everton supporters and you could hear them through the tv you could hear them through the telly there were i mean there were songs after song after song going throughout the match it was such such a good such a good match and the the support was was so great to hear, so great to see. I mean, and, and it's not like we've ever had an issue with with support. Uh, we always seem that to have very very good support, no matter where the match is. Everyone's up to travel. Got a very very good away support system, and it's just it was really really great to to be to be a fan on the American side. To be you know not not being able to go to games regularly, but to know that there are people that have the ability to be at these games and they go and they show very, very strong support. So good on you to the fans. Well done. Next, Pickford was unstoppable. I mentioned that in the intro. Pickford had that one save against Marco. Alonso, or not, uh, is it Marco? Alonso? Alonso, the, the left back. He His his shot with the was very, very Good. It was a great shot. So credit credit to Alonso for the shot. Yeah, he took it out of the air, hit hit across the ball so that it curled towards the goal, and Pickford had to pull a, a save right out of the top drawer, which he did, maintain the clean sheet at that moment. Another one, the free kick. He he was probably he probably had that covered as well, but that's obviously always a dangerous position for Chelsea to be in. Where when Mina got the yellow card, right at the beginning of the second half. I mean, and even Morata, you know, gave him a little shove, and it was, you know, not not an angry one. It was like, you know, jokingly, but he he gave him a little shove, and it was like, you know, you couldn't let that go in. It was it was good to see, and and Pickford took, you know, he he went with it. He he was comfortable with it and thought it was funny, but he he demonstrated in this game why he's such an asset to us. Also, if you haven't seen it yet, there's there's a video of uh, there's like an Everton unseen videos. I don't know if you guys have ever seen them on YouTube. Or it's it's on social media as well. If anyone follows RL Designs on Instagram, Pickford 
someone passes a ball to him from off the pitch at St. George's Park uh, at England training before before uh, Wayne Rooney's farewell match, and he scores a goal from the corner. I saw a comment. One, I don't I, I don't know if who it was, but someone said this lad walks on water for me. It was it was really great to see. But in this match against Chelsea, he was he was huge and. Uh, similar to when uh, we had that run with Martinez uh, towards the end when we were pushing for the top four and we ended up in the Europa League, of course, and this and the Champions League run with Moyes when we got into the top four to, to qualify for the Champions League. These huge points against teams like this, they add up. There, There's a, a very large component to to even just one point against these teams that a lot of clubs throughout the league are going to go to Stanford Bridge and it's just, it, I mean, it's lost points. They, they, and they, they go and they, you know, obviously teams are going to go and, and battle and try and get points out of the match, but it's not, it's never a guarantee. And I think Everton went, went to Stanford Bridge this time and really showed what we're about. Marco Silva showed what he was capable of doing Mina demonstrated that he was ready to play in the Premier League. It was really, really great performance. Now, something that I wanted to talk about, one of the key points for this podcast, is the changes in, I guess you could say, acceptance of Everton's good performances as the seasons kind of progressed. We didn't start very well, of course. Started off a little slowly. We were dropping points against teams like Huddersfield at home. My pops was at that match, which I mean, I wish I could have been there. But we were dropping points, even at Goodison, to teams that we should be walking all over. And we started we started to find our feet now. We're starting to gain some traction. We got on a good run. But what I'm getting at is that pundits and even just your sky shows in general and even social media, they're starting to give give the club a little bit more respect. That Everton as as a whole, as a club, are gaining the respect of some of the pundits and some of the social media accounts, etc. What I'm getting, what I what I mean by all this is that, for for example, there was uh, some Sky show. I'm not sure what it was. Could have been the debate or or something, where the intro shows a number of managers. There was like six or seven of them, all all in a row, standing, kind of cascading backwards. And there were there was of course Klopp was in there, uh, Mourinho was there, Sari was there, Pep Guardiola was there. You know, bigger managers, you know, ones ones that are normally in the press. Marco Silva found him. He, he gained himself a spot there. So it's little things like that. Next example was PL in the USA. It's an Instagram account. It's the the USA sub account, I guess, for the Premier League. That is directed towards supporters in the U.S. It's an account straight, straightly directed at U.S. supporters of the Premier League. They posted a, a post a couple of weeks ago. Don't sleep on Everton's form when we'd won three and lost one. That was when we lost to United, or one one four, lost one to United. They gave us a post. Don't sleep on Everton's form. Little things like that. Next, the commentators in this match were, and it could have been because in the past there were favorites. I mean, I can't stand when McManaman is, is a commentator. It drives me up the wall. 
because it couldn't be more clear that he's not being unbiased. And of course, you know, this account is called Blue Blood Bias and everything is from an Everton perspective, but at least I own that and and I'm aware of that and everything I do. And and in, t- in terms of, of situations when I need to not be biased and I'm aware of that, then I try not to be. And a lot of the times I will... I'll prime, I'll prime with whatever I'm saying with that. But if you're a commentator in a match and the team you used to play for or the club you support or whatever is playing, you can't be biased towards it. You're, whether it's NBC or Fox or whatever, you can't demonstrate your bias in that. It drives me up the wall. Be an adult swallow your pride for the 90 minutes or, you know, 110 minutes, whatever it may be, and just give an unbiased commentary. If it, the What's his name? The is it, is it Lee Dixon who used to play for Arsenal? I think it is. Let's look, let's look here. So, well, I mean, whenever an Arsenal match is on, and, and he's always... He's always joking on about it, and there was one. And when we played them, actually, he he was getting kind of annoyed at his at the Arsenal players that they were playing poorly, and that they they were kind of asleep coming out of halftime. That it was it is Lee Dixon. It is he's a, he's ex professional football player. I'm looking at it here now on good old trusty Wikipedia, am I right? Uh, but he, English retired professional footballer who played as a right back for Arsenal uh, amongst other clubs, but most mostly known for his time at, at Arsenal and his clear, undying support of Arsenal. And when he's commentating, he makes it that much more obvious and it drives me up the wall. Grow up. Be an adult and don't be biased in your commentary. Yeah, I'm on a website called Blue Blood Bias. I'm aware of that. I own it. I, that's why I named the website that, because then there's no question as to whether I'm biased or not. And if anyone says, oh, you're, you're just saying that because, you know, you're just being biased because you're an Everton fan. Yeah, read the title of the website, guy. Regardless, the point that I'm making, and to continue on to, to continue in what what the whole point of this conversation is, is that, Commentators are starting to give Everton a little bit more respect. The ones who are always biased, they'll always be biased. Fair enough. But we're getting... They're saying things about the way we're playing football. And of course, it's obviously a product of how we're playing football as well, not just the fact that we're gaining more respect and gaining traction in the league. But they're saying there, there, there was a bunch of phrases that, like, that were... One that came up was a great football again from Everton there. You know, just little things like that, that or even in the challenges, there, there's a, there's a little less skepticism of of when there's a foul that's clearly not a foul committed by an Everton player, or when there's a really bad challenge committed on an Everton player, there's less of them waiting for for the replay for a clear discussion of it. They they immediately hop on the side of the Everton player if that's the correct thing to do. One say, oh, that's a really nasty challenge when Sigurdsson was was foul down which I'm going to get into in a minute it's another thing that drove me right up the wall it really annoyed me but it was it was really good to see that uh, really good to hear I guess you could say that Everton players and Everton as a club are, are just getting a little bit more respect and that they're earning it of course with the way with the style of play but it 
it's it's really good to see now that the pundits and and different accounts and commentators are providing or you know or not not even providing just just giving the club the respect that it deserves and it's reassuring and and it's good to hear next was Jorginho's tackle on Sigurdsson you rewatch that at, at whatever speed you want regular speed slow mo especially from front on when you can see the players faces and and their bodies running towards camera you watch that and with a straight face try and tell me that that's not a red card it, i mean you you're a fool if you think that he shouldn't have been sent off for that and going off of what i was just saying about the commentators being more honest and providing everyone with a little bit more respect he said the same thing the commentator said the same thing i'm quoting here that was a nasty challenge a poor one, two-footed, knees bent. He jumped up in the air, and he really, really put one on Sigurdsson. Jorginho really, really left one on Jorginho. Now, now I'm speaking of my own words. Silva was livid. You could see Silva throw his arms up in the air after the tackle initially happened, and Sigurdsson stayed down, and he walked out of the game with a boot on, on his ankle. A two-footed challenge, set quoted by the commentator as a nasty challenge, a poor one, two-footed, knees bent. He he was frustrated as hell. Sigurdsson manhandled him in that battle. They were battling. Jorginho was putting his arm. At one point, Jorginho hit him in, in either the neck or the head. They're battling for the ball, fighting each other for the ball. And Jorginho gets angry that Sigurdsson got away from him, and he jumps up in the air, scissor kicks him, two-footed. Up, He should be sent off. He got a yellow card, fair enough. But it should have been more than that. He should have been disciplined. He should have been taken out of the game. He took his frustration out on Sigerson in that moment. It's unacceptable. It was a very, very poor call by the referee. And and a hugely unacceptable tackle by Jorginho. And if you're if if the organization sees that and there's and there's not something spoken to him about that, even from just their own tactical perspective, that oh, that could have cost us the game if you got us down to ten men at home. Even even if it's not at least that, something needs to be said and something needs to be done about that. Because jumping in two-footed like that against any player could not only take them out for the season, could take them out for longer than that. We've seen that in the past. Eduardo's broken leg. Just a number of a number of tackles just like that when players get a little bit too angry and they leave, leave something on a player. It's unacceptable. And, and he went over to Sigurdsson after the fact and, and apologized. And if that doesn't tell you something... Then, you know, you know, clearly, you know, if that doesn't tell you something, then then you're just you're you're turning a blind eye purposely. And that was another thing that the commentator said too: is like, oh, he went over and apologized to him. Who cares? You don't try and hurt somebody just because you're just because you're getting angry. I mean, you just you know, don't run over there. And I mean, I mean, the tackle was something that is produced by by a loser. You don't do that. It's if you're losing out on someone's tackle, you put your body on him and you battle him out. You don't jump up in the air and try and break his leg. Moving on from that, uh, Richarlison was not only as you know after that on Jorginho, he was chirping up at him and talking to him, and he was emotionally and physically defensive of his player, which is another of of Sigurdsson, which is a great thing to see players kind of sticking up for each other. I mean, it's obviously always going to happen. But it, but it's it's good to see that the players have got each other's backs, even with because Jorginho's 
He's Brazilian. Am I am I correct in saying that? I don't want to misquote. You know, do another little do another little search here. I'm pretty sure Jorginho is Brazilian. Let's see. Jorginho is. No, he is not Brazilian. So good thing I didn't say that. Even though I'm still saying it. No, but he uh it's he actually no he's Brazilian and Italian but he plays for the Italian national team okay so I mean with a name like Jorginho he's basically Brazilian regardless he Richarlison ran over to him and was chirping about him probably in Portuguese and was giving him an earful letting him know that what he did was was not okay and that Richarlison is going to be leaving a little bit on him for the rest of the game uh, moving on, but now definitely moving on from that. So all in all, I mean, other than the few, the few moments that we kind of got away with a little bit when, for instance, when William put the ball wide of the left post, we, we were fairly comfortable in, in a lot of the game. We didn't have much possession of the ball, but when we did, we looked pretty threatening. Like early on when, uh, Bernard was fouled, that was a good instance of, of our, of our forward potential. That we were, we were ready to attack. We looked very, very good. We looked strong. We looked, we looked confident, comfortable on the ball. We looked dangerous. That we could have caused a lot of, a lot of trouble. So really, all in all, it was, it was a great game for, for a number of aspects. The, the support, the, the emotion of the players, how we were able to make a system change, and just really how, how we kind of weathered the, the difficulty, of, of a team and of a team's class like, Chelsea and how we can go to Stamford Bridge away and collect a point. If that's not reassuring, before we play Liverpool in December, I don't know what is. If we can do that against Chelsea, we can sure as hell do it against Liverpool. And their, cause their form right now is not, not that good. They're just starting to get a little shaky. I mean, that 2-0 uh, loss to Red Star Belgrade there, it's a little... Uh, it's something that made me laugh, for sure. That, that was a good feeling. But... And and I said it early on as well, I, and I I I mentioned that when you're playing under Klopp like that and his super super high press and his super high energy that he demands from his players constantly, it burns you out. They're a couple of seasons in now. They had a long run in the Champions League. They had a an, a traveling um, preseason. They were traveling a lot for preseason. They had a bunch of games. They had games early on in. The in their schedule this year that were that were tough games that they were playing against top sides. It's they're they're getting tired, and to the players, I mean there's 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 good players on the Liverpool team. There's not there's you can't you can't not give the players that are uh, that are you know a few of the better players in the league the credit that they deserve. Do I think that Mo Salah is going to score thirty plus goals again this season? Hell no. And I said that before the season started as well. But no matter what type of player you are, no matter what stamina level you have, if you're going to get run into the floor by your manager, you're going to burn out and you're going to get tired. It's just the way that it is. And it's not even December yet, and they're starting to show it. And I think that as it continues on, with when we get to the war, towards the end of the season, when there's less international breaks and you're forced to play more games with the club, it's going to be it's going to be more mentally taxing as well you're going to get more and more tired they're going to they're going to crumble they're going to start to fall down the pecking order 
and I don't know where they'll end up. They could end up in second. They can end up in third still. I don't think they're going to win the league. Is part of me saying that only because I'm an Everton fan? Sure. Like I said before, we're on a biased website. You're listening to a biased podcast. It's the way that it is. But 80% of me is saying that because, in full honesty, Klopp's teams, because of the way he runs them, get too tired, and they're, even just from a mental, mental perspective, they're too tired to continue what's expected of them. It's just the way that it is. So, with the Chelsea game basically covered thoroughly, I, I believe I've covered basically basically everything that, that I wanted to cover. Oh, one more thing about the Chelsea game, actually. Barkley was booed. Now, I mentioned this in the previous podcast. I, don't, I didn't know how I was going to feel when he got on the field. What, but one thing I did notice, and one thing that was clear, was his emotion as a, re, as a reaction to the supporters booing him. When he got on that field, he at first was a little quiet. You could see he maybe was a little bit nervous to be making mistakes. But eventually he wanted to be on the ball. Eventually he was putting himself into pockets of space and collecting the ball moving forward. One of the first times he did that, he collected the ball. He was about 25 yards out, and he tried to put his boot through the ball, and it went well wide. That's not what Sari wants. Sari doesn't ask that of his players. Sari wants good buildup. He wants a bunch of forward-moving players to be working together and and to just use their class to get, to get the ball in the back of the net. Barkley was angry. He showed his emotion there. And that solidified his 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 emotions towards Everton as a club as a whole. Which I don't understand. I don't sympathize with him for it. I, I can't wrap my head around what, what he thinks Everton didn't do for him or the lack of the of support that the club gave him. They supported him as as a kid. He was given his opportunities fairly young at the club. We all wanted him to everyone wanted him to stay. Then he made kind of a snake move by waiting to move in December rather than in the summer. It was all very, all very weird. Getting his tattoos removed. Maybe he just wants his tattoo. Maybe it's not about having an Everton tattoo. Maybe it's just about having a tattoo in general. We don't know what's going on in his head. But it was very obvious in that game that his emotion was, was flared up against Everton. And I think probably the nil-nil, the nil-nil draw probably frustrated him a little bit. But. The fans booing him. I mean, you do what you want to do. I know that the major consensus towards him is that, you know, he deserves to be booed, that, you know, good riddance to him, kind of how Liverpool look at Sterling, whatever. I mean, it, um, if I was at a match, would I be booing him? I don't know. If you want to boo him, you go for it. He, his emotion was clearly clearly flared up by it, so do whatever you like. A few other stories that I'll get into now that have been kind of floating around. It's been about a week from the match. Of course, it's Friday today. There, one of the ones that came out today was Clausen, Davy Clausen, talking about his time at Everton and and how his how it all kind of fell apart. And I think that his case is similar to a few players. Kuman brought in too many midfield players. There was a lot of I can understand. You know, you want to bring in competition, but it it was a little aggressive. There were too many midfield players. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And Glossen fell victim. Obviously, he wasn't performing at a level that the managers wanted him to. But from Kuman to David Unsworth to Sam Allardyce, 
all the change and his lack of playing time was was difficult for him to handle and and he spoke he spoke to that he said that Unsworth thought he wasn't strong enough that he was too weak of a player that his physicality level wasn't high enough uh, and he said that it didn't really make any sense to him and he said that he dreaded going to training every day he said he knew how hard it was going to be he said that it was kind of it was disheartening to him and and that's sad to hear i mean as as much as maybe you were just outplayed by your counterparts in the, in the midfield you never want to hear about anyone that's just not enjoying their football especially at, a, at an everton player at the club you, you don't want to hear that and and um i, I can't empathize with Clausen, of course about this but it's sad and uh, my heart goes out to him goes out to his family who who had to move from there you know, had to move from Holland's from the Eredivisie and just it was it's it's sad and, and my heart goes out to him and his family for for being moved around the way that he has been uh, and I hope that his feelings towards the club don't stay negative another little tidbit was someone I, for, I forgot what source it was but they said that Merson couldn't have been more wrong about Richarlison that was a little I, I forget, that was a little excerpt from something but one thing that was uh, put out by uh, 442 mag the you know 442 magazine was the top 10 transfers in their opinion uh, of the summer two everton players featured bottom of the list number 10 bernard i don't think there's anyone listening to this that will disagree with that i think bernard is very well deserving of of a top spot on that list he's strong player he's had a little bit of a struggle these past couple of games but he was Moving well against Chelsea, he created a couple of opportunities. He's hardworking. In my opinion, he's he's a poor man's, even though we're not poor, we're a billionaire club now, but he, he's a poor man's David Silva. I think that he's a short player, works hard in the midfield. He's, of course, a winger, but he, his his movement on the ball and the way he controls the ball and, and as a small player protects the ball reminds me a little bit of David Silva. I'm not comparing him directly to him, saying that he's as good as him, but I think that... He's a poor man's David Silva. Same way that I've said in the past that Adrissa Gay is a poor man's Conte, N'Golo Conte. He's, I mean, N'Golo Conte has also fallen off this year. He's not he's not performing as well as he has been, and it's because he's out of position because of Jorginho. But uh, you know, as as a, as an expression, Adrissa Gay is a poor man's Conte. The same way that Bernard is a poor man's David Silva. Number 10 on the 442 mag top 10 transfers of the summer. There were a few, there were quite a few Bournemouth players on there, but number two on the list is our boy Richarlison. Merson said that we, that Everton broke the transfer market. That 52 mil for Richarlison was ridiculous. This was a comment that was made after. Allison or Allison, however you like me to pronounce it, was signed by Liverpool as the most expensive one of either the most expensive or one of the most expensive goalkeepers ever. So you're talking out of your rear there, Paul. Respect to you for all the things that you've said that are correct. Respect to you for your career as a footballer. You you couldn't have been more wrong about Richarlison, and the only one that's proven you're wrong about that is the player himself. He's found his way into Brazil's squad regularly he's there right now and he's in training he's uh, there was talk about him being injured but he's in training with the with the brazil squad 
He's young. He's working hard. And he's considered by one of the top football magazines as the second best signing of the summer. So good on you, uh, Richie, for, for doing that and for, for proving everyone that was saying that your fee wasn't worth it and that, that it was a ridiculous signing. Good on you for, for putting the work in and, and, and demonstrating that you are good enough. A few other stories. Let's see. So from Craig Cathcart to Andre Gomez, the 10 underrated Premier League players. This is from The Guardian. So we'll open this one up. Apologize if you can hear my the clicks of my mouse here, but I'm gonna try I'm trying to I'm always trying to read these art as I'm discussing these articles, I'm always trying to read them as as I'm discussing them to you. So in case you didn't have a chance to spend the time looking over everything. Uh, I hope that, you know, maybe in your car ride to work you can be listening to these. So I'm I'm basically gonna gonna go over the list here of players that the article is the is ten ten most underrated Premier League players from the Garden, written by Simon Burton. So, number 10, Shane Duffy for Brighton. Okay, I mean, I'll, I, I, you can find him, find him on there, short thing. Philip Billing from Huddersfield, don't, I don't know enough about him to, to, to be a fair judge of that, so I'll move on to the next one. Uh, Hoiberg from Southampton, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. He, from the games that I have watched, has been has been pretty pretty impressive. There's some t- uh, statistics here. Uh, per 90 minutes, let's see. His statistics demonstrate a notable improvement from last season. From 59.7 passes per 90 minutes to 69, rising from 6th in Southampton's rankings to 1st, and uh, with a slightly improved success rate of 86.9 from 85. Uh, he's taken double the amount of shots as he has. Um, he's had more than half as many tackles this season. As a whole, last season, uh, a red card against Leicester, his second yellow earned for an embarrassing dive, is the only significant blot on his copybook. I'm, of course, reading this from The Guardian, written by Simon Burton. I want to give credit where credit is due. Craig Cathcart for Watford. And our boy Andre Gomez finds himself on the list. So I'll read his little excerpt from this. In March, Gomez, a bit part player at Barcelona, struggling to realize his ambitions, spoke about his struggles at the Camp Nou, it has become a bit of hell, he said. So a bit of hell. So he really wasn't enjoying his time, similar to how Klaassen wasn't enjoying his time. He said, on more than one occasion, I have not wanted to leave the house. People look at you, and I'm afraid to walk in the street out of shame. I mean, that's that's really sad. He has yet to reach top gear at Everton, perhaps excusable after arriving with an injury and slotting into a new... Uh, into a new team eight games into the season. Fair enough. But already he's already showing immense technical quality and class and none of the self-doubt that affected his performances in Spain. In particular, he is dovetailing impressively with Adrissa Gay at the base of the midfield and with Gilfie Sigurdsson ahead of them. Everton's midfield bears comparison with any in the division. Now, talking about what I was talking about before with the fairness and respect being earned from pundits and social media accounts. This is the Guardian writing about football here. And we Everton's midfield bears comparison with any in the division. Some of you might think that's a bit of a stretch, but what a what an endorsement to have from from one of the papers. So but just wow. I mean and and good on you uh for for recognizing that Andre Gomez deserves to be given a bit more credit from 
I mean, I think as Everton fans watching, I think that we're all very aware of his ability and that he deserves a bit more credit than what he's been getting. But I mean, it, it was it was great to great to see that, and 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 what an endorsement to have a, a midfield that's compared to any in the league. It's great to see. So I mean, a few of the headlines from the from the Echo, which I get a lot of my news from. Um, one, Everton Stadium's move is crucial for the club's ambition after a strong start from Marco Silva. I mean, there's a little bit of discussion as to that from from different clubs as well. Being able to move into your into your new stadium or your desired arena, I mean, of course, Goodison is is a fortress, and it's always great to be there as a fan, and and it's never easy for clubs to go there. Having a new stadium that we've been discussing having Bramley more built and ready to go will help the club even more and it'll really it'll be a, a physical demonstration other than our play of course of the direction that the club is going in so having an actual new stadium built and and having a demonstration of what we're striving for and what we're what we're trying to be having Bramley more built and ready to go will is just going to be another personification of of not a personification but but a a, a physical item or physical demonstration of what the club is going for and and what what the club wants to be and wants to become or get back to being i mean we've got history like hardly any club that's in the premier league now other other than a select few have history that like everton's but i i very much agree with with the with the writers at the echo on that one so then they were talking about winners and losers of everton's season so far different players on that list uh, I'm not going to go too deep into that because I don't want it to be like argumentative and that could that could be I mean that's kind of up to to a point that's up to interpretation that there's certain players that they might might be too young to be getting the comparison that they are they could be on their way out so so to be comparing players amongst themselves in the club like that it's not something I've always liked to do and of course I mean the manager and and those looking to buy new players like like brands leave it to them i mean they'll make the decisions the for for fans or for media in in that sense to be to be comparing players at a club between themselves i mean leave it to the professionals i mean there's been instances such as lookman maybe who deserves to be he's he's always been in the squad he's always been on the bench but maybe he deserves to get a start maybe you know give him his opportunity at 90 minutes well, well, we'll have to see, but leave it to the professionals, and we'll we'll see where they take them. If if anything, if anything gets more standout like that, if there's players that are just being omitted from the squad for for no reason, then you can get into discussions about it. But as of right now, everything seems to be somewhat fair. So, other than that, I mean, we, we there's there's not too much in the news. Uh, other than. Wayne Rooney playing his farewell farewell game for England. Uh, it was a little bit on more of like a personal aspect for for me and my and my football supporting friends in in America, of course, because it was England versus the USA. So, and and of course, it was the first time that England's done a farewell match like that one. That he kind of you know quote unquote came out of retirement for it and was subbed on and, and played his last minutes in an England shirt. Very emotional night for for Wayne, I'm sure. Great night for him and his family. Uh, he's had a good press with everything. He was able to travel away from from you know from the U.S. of course for 
from DC and just get ready for the game and, and kind of train with the club at St. George's park. Uh, and it was great for, for, I mean, of course the U S normally they play their friendlies, but it was good for them to kind of get on a plane and, and then go perform. Actually, let me make sure that I'm quoting correctly here. They did play in England, right? They played at Wembley. I'm, I'm, I'm very certain that they did, but before I say it for sure, Let's see. Yeah, well, I mean, it says England versus USA, so I'm going to assume that England were home. So it was, the game was played yesterday on the thurs on Thursday. Three goals. Lingard's goal was really really good. Callum Wilson has earned himself a spot in the, in the England squad after his great performances in the league. Uh, good on you, Wilson, for that. But it, it'll be an emotional night for Wayne, and, and he had a few interviews to do, and there's been a few kind of. I guess you could say nothing. I mean, there's nothing negative, but there there were a few discussions as to you know kind of how his how his career ended, and they were asking him a few tough questions. But but everything everyone was very respectful, and everyone was was aware that it would, might be a tender moment for for him, and and it was great to see that he he got his chance to get out there and, and get his last minutes in England shirt. So congratulations to Wayne on a, a very very good England career, Golden Boot for. United as well as England for, for everything that he did for his time when he when he was at Everton as a youngster and and as uh, as I guess you can say an older player when he returned uh, and and all of his time in England. I mean, obviously he's not retiring from football altogether, but but he is a bit of a step down in the MLS. But it was uh, you know it was it was good to see that that England were given a player of his caliber kind of a moment to to say farewell. So congratulations, Wayne, on your career and everything that you've done. That about wraps up everything that I wanted to cover in this episode of the B3 podcast. If you've got any questions or you want us to cover anything specifically, do not hesitate to leave a comment in our SoundCloud comments on Instagram, on Twitter. We're all at the B3 podcast or at blue blood bias. If you want, if you want to leave a comment on any of those, or reach out and ask us questions, do not hesitate. I'm always open to reading and responding. And just one more time from the intro, just wanted to mention the Quintessential Christmas website. It's quintessential-christmas.com for all of your Christmas deeds. All of your Christmas deeds? Doug Dimadome, owner of the Doug... Uh, <laughs> that's a little bit of a, a stretch there for anyone to get that reference, but... The Quintessential Christmas website, quintessential-christmas for all of your Christmas needs. And if you want to get a discount on your sales, on your on your purchases, use B3, that is triple B, 10, BBB10, triple B10, at checkout. Or I'm going to post a link. I didn't say this at the beginning, but I'll post a link on my social media uh, as well as in the description of the podcast of uh, of the website that you can click directly and it will automatically give you that discount code at checkout so you don't have to do anything. But if you just go onto the website on your own and set it directly, you can use BBB, that is triple B10, so BBB10 at checkout and you'll get yourself a discount. Thanks very much for listening, guys. It's always a pleasure and I look forward to the next one. Bye for now. The B3 Podcast.